Unity of Farmington Hills, a powerful path for spiritual living. There was a time in my life I thought I'd have to do sufficient and I didn't know the love of God was at hand but now I can say if you are discouraged struggling just to Veterans Day Parade, we had a lot of fun. 
representing y'all and my voice was so hoarse when I got home and then also want to thank everyone who showed up yesterday to help Faith plant our uh, do our flowers plant our flowers <laughs> so now I'm gonna have Chuck Manasco come up and do our announcement you can clap for him too y'all <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Unity of Farmington Hills. So, uh, yes, my name is Chuck Manastra. I am a new platform assistant yeah. who, <laughs> who barely passed the rigorous screening of Lois Jones. <laughs> so so we'll, see, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> now, um, all kidding aside, welcome everyone for joining the service today, both online and in person. We're happy you're with us and hope that you will enjoy the service. If this is your first time here, please take a welcome packet um, from the table outside the sanctuary. And also, please join us after the service in the social hall for fellowship, refreshments, and yummy homemade treats. I can definitely <laughs> attest to that. Our capital campaign theme for May and June is Super Share 50-50. Our goal is $1,500, and the winner receives half of the total that we collect. Tickets are available after service today and each Sunday through June 25th. So um, in the social hall downstairs, get some extra tickets every Sunday and improve your chances of winning half the total proceeds. They'll accumulate uh, and the winner will be announced at the church picnic on Sunday, June 25th. The capital campaign will surely win and maybe you can be a big winner too. Next Sunday, June 11th is Friends and Family Sunday. Invite family and friends and come to enjoy music and message and experience the love and joy of our spiritual community. Earn a special recognition for bringing the most guests over three. <laughs> also, next Sunday, June 11th, join the women's group for a women's empowerment presentation at 11.15 a.m. featuring guest speaker Deborah, Deborah Fleischman. Learn ways to strengthen your woman power. That was Lois's line. <laughs> On Saturday, June 17th at 10 a.m., the men's group will gather for a breakfast at Leo's Coney Island on West 12 Mile and Farmington Road. All men are welcome. Critical conversations, the women's group and men's group, and UFC veteran peer support group meetings are taking a short break for the summer and will resume in September. Do you love and appreciate inspiring and uplifting music? Yes. Do you like to enjoy a great summer picnic? Then you're in for a double treat. On Sunday, June 25th, our awesome church band will present an all-music Sunday service at 10 a.m. The service will be followed by the annual church picnic right in our own backyard from 11.15 to 2.30 p.m. Don't miss the music and the fun and the excitement of the day. It's really a great, great day, so please uh, mark that on your calendars for Sunday, June 25th. Eileen Lindbergh is our prayer chaplain for today. Eileen's in the, in the upper back there. Um, she'll be available to pray with you after service near the patio doors. Please move out of the sanctuary immediately after service to provide a quiet space for prayer. To stay abreast of all our activities and upcoming events, please visit unity at farmingtonhills.com, check out our Facebook page, or read through our newsletter that's emailed every Friday. And now, as the music team sings, surely the presence, let us prepare our hearts and minds for our spiritual communion and opening prayer. Thank you.
How may we prepare ourselves for communion with our Lord? We may prepare ourselves by affirming deeply with realization, my heart is right with God. My mind is lifted and quickened by the Holy Spirit. My ability picture, conceptualize, envision, and dream is aligned with Christ. Suck, take that in deeply. Take a deep breath and breathe it in. Your imagination, your ability to imagine, to picture, to conceptualize, to envision, and to dream is now aligned with Christ. And envision the power between your eyes, that center, that tiny line opening up. Take another deep breath and breathe it in. Let it settle. Activating you now in alignment with Christ through your power of imagination. Okay. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Together, softly, I now partake of spiritual substance as I meditate within my heart and mind upon these words of Christ. I realize that I am radiant, living substance. Every cell of my body is alive and aright with the glory of God. I have the power have the power to envision good unfolding in every area of my life. Breathe that in deeply. You have the power to envision good unfolding in every area of your life. Take it in deeply. Take another deep breath. Activate that deeply within your heart, within your mind, and the expression of your body. Let it settle deeply within you. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave to them, and they all drank of it, and he said unto them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's say this softly as well. I now drink of the life of Christ as I meditate upon spirit and the truth of his works within my heart and mind. I feel the creative power of life more abundantly. I am the Christ, one with the living God. I am that I am. Gently close your eyes and receive this. I am that I am. Say it softly. I am that I am. Three, two more times. I am that I am. I am that I am. One more deep breath. Breathe it in deeply. your eyes closed, I'll pray this last part over you. As we consecrate ourselves to recognizing our purpose, to bear witness to the truth only, we bear witness to speak truth only, to hear truth only, and to see truth to the best of our understanding and ability. In this way only can we do the healing work of the Christ dwelling within. Breathe that in deeply. You are the healing work of the 
Christ dwelling within. And God, as we open ourselves up more deeply, we've been awakened through this ability to come into union with you spiritually, to activate the sacrament of the Last Supper, and to step more deeply into being and living your truth. Sit in that just for a minute, feeling your truth radiate in us deeply through our power of imagination. Knowing that we have the power to imagine, to picture, conceptualize, envision, and dream, and that you bring forth even beyond our greatest dreams when we align our imagination with the Christ within. We have the power to envision gold good unfolding in our life in every area. And we thank you, God, for your mighty gift of love, your mighty gift of life, and the power to imagine. We are made in your image and likeness. We have the power to image and create the likeness. We sit in that power. We thank you for that power. We be that power. We lift this spiritual communion into our hearts deeply through the power of the Christ within. Thanking you, God, for your love that loves us no matter what. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so it is. Amen. Now you can open your eyes. Revitalized through the power of imagination. I've got ways that are tossing me, crashing all over my beliefs, and in all sincerity. I want to be yours Pull me out of this mess I'm in Cause I know I'm wondering Leave my soul back home again I've always been yours And this world may push, may pull But your love it never fails
hiatus forever. We got the sweetest band in unity. <laughs> That's what I call some sweet business. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> Isn't it nice to have such a beautiful spring day? Yeah. I mean, goodness. It's, we had, you know, we had, uh, it's supposed to be April showers, bring May flowers, but not April flurries. <laughs> brings May frost. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? So it's really nice to be finally in a spring day. I had a, a cute little joke. I'm going to try to tell it. I might have already told it. Because I, I mess up sometimes when I try to tell a joke. Um, and, and I might have told it already. I can't remember if I told it already this year. But uh, Moses and Jesus were out golfing. And you might have heard it before. If you did, just, just laugh with me anyway. And um, so Moses goes to hit the ball. It goes into the water. He splits the sea, the water, and goes down and hits it, and it hits into it, goes into for a hole in two. He goes, two, hole in two. So then um, Jesus goes, and he hits the ball, and it lands on top of the water. So he gets on the water. He hits it. It goes in the hole. And then they realize, well, they had another person, Jesus' father, golfing with him too. And so he goes, and he hits the ball. The ball goes into the water, but a fish catches the water and goes and pops up onto the, onto the ground. It starts to roll, and it goes into the, and, and he says, holy one. And Moses says, can you stop bringing your father with us golfing? <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I messed up a joke. <laughs> but it's still funny to me. <laughs> At least I didn't laugh through the whole thing and couldn't get it finished. <laughs> but um, so we are finishing up our parables, our study on the parables. And as I was saying uh, last week and the week before, I'm really enjoying this study because I'm getting a deeper understanding of Jesus' perfect way of using storytelling and allegories and symbolism to give his meaning and to <clears throat> answer tactfully what was happening at that time. So if someone asked him a question, he would use a parable, or if especially the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders were complaining or criticizing him, he used a parable to answer that, uh, to answer that criticism. So we are in Matthew chapter 21, and last week we talked about the parable of the two sons, and we were talking about how this was Jesus' answer and reference to the question that was asked to him, of him how do you, what, who, what gives you the authority to do the things that you do? We also were saying that this was right after Jesus came, did his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey representing himself as the Messiah. So now he's not hiding the fact that he, he's the Messiah. He's blatantly claiming it and being it and praying in the name of it and all of that. And he's not, a, he's not a shucking or, or being nonchalant about it. He's really blatantly letting them know this because he knows that this time when he enters into Jerusalem, it is because it is time for him, his crucifixion. It's time for his crucifixion. What I am hearing... There are times in our lives when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. There's times in our lives when we're tired of stepping and doing the going along to be along, get along, when really the, we're going against our truth. And we get blatant 
and we get real about who we are, and we step into the truth of who we are, and we get to the point where we realize it's time for us to teach others to love us the way we're learning to love ourselves. And so we're no longer going to shy away from an opportunity to speak our truth. And we're no longer going to shy away from an opportunity to be a demonstration of God. So what happens is we crucify that, crucify that old self and we step into the true self. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's preparing himself and he's preparing. This is a consciousness of what we do when we get prepared to step out of what we used to be and step into the truth of who we really are. Does that make sense, everybody? <clears throat> so he did not care what the Pharisees said and that they were going to try to trip him up even more. He did not care because he knew that that was what was going to be the cause of him going to be crucified in the first place. So he gave them every bit of evidence that they could use against him. And that's what we do too. You take every bit of evidence that you've used against yourself, that you've used, that others have used against you. You use every weapon that has come against you and that you've taken on as an adoption of what somebody said about you as you were younger, and you are using that against yourself so that you could crucify that old personality and step into your true self. Does that make sense? But there are parts of our mind that stop us from doing that. There are parts of the religious part of us that step into the, well, this isn't right, and this, this, and that the legal part of ourselves that stops us from giving ourselves compassion and grace towards ourselves and others. And that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders and Sadducees represent. So there's that part of you that's always judging and condemning yourself. When somebody does something, you judge and condemn them. There's times when stuff happens, the first thing that comes out of our mouth is a complaint or a judgment or a criticism. That's the Pharisees and Sadducees. But it's part of our consciousness, y'all. That's just a symbolism of who we are that we are working towards killing off, and I want to say it differently though, <laughs> purifying it into the truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. You ever heard you say, I shouldn't have done that, that was so stupid. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? You ever hear yourself criticize yourself? Yeah. That's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. And so as Jesus is looking at these, uh, coming at them, what it's representing to us is to step into the consciousness of our Christ that sees those parts coming to, toward ourselves, especially when you're going into something new, especially when you're releasing something that you've been experiencing in your life and you're moving into a new ch chapter of your life or a new version of the chapter of your life. Is that making sense to everybody? There's going to be those parts of you that will criticize, that will doubt, and that will have an opportunity to complain and will second guess. And I'm learning more and more and more not to do the benefit of the doubt, because every time I do a benefit of the doubt towards per myself or another person for what it is that I'm led to do, that I'm always going against what God has told me to do. So my benefits of the doubt are easing out of the door. They're going to be crucified and purified into following my first mind. You ever said I should have followed my first mind? I should have followed what I felt in my gut? I knew I should have done that. Anybody else said that before? Yeah. Well, when you don't do it, you're doubting the truth, and the truth will always set you free. I'm just saying. Okay, let's get into this. I don't know why I was supposed to say that, but I just said it. I know it's for me. Trust me, I know it's for me. Okay, so we're going into this. So Jesus is, has come into the temple. He's cleared out the temple. And then the next day he comes and he starts teaching in the temple. And the Pharisees and the, uh, the religious leaders, rather, and the um, 
priests there are asking him, of what authority do you have this? Now, he's already brought up the idea. Well, what, but what, the, what authority did John the Baptist have for baptizing people? Was it from the God or was it a human power and authority? Now, they are caught up in that question. It's a conundrum. Because if they say it was from God, Jesus will say, well, why didn't you believe him? If they say it was human, the people there who believed that John the Baptist was a prophet will go to want to stone them. So they don't answer. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to answer either. And now we already went into the parable of the, of the two sons, which represent the power of repentance. We're going to go into this second parable that Jesus uses because sometimes he wasn't enough to just say one thing. He would drive it home. Like when he'd say, verily, verily, I'd say unto you, that was getting your attention. That was getting your attention. In this second parable, it's in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 46. I'm going to read off. My, the title of this is the Eve, a parable of the evil farmers, but there's some that say, some versions say parable of the wicked tenants. So I'm going to read it. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard built on a built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to a ten, tenant farmer to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. Finally, the landowner the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. Now, back in the first century uh, Judaism at that time, if, you, uh, if the sole heir of a landowner or sole heir of a property died off, and you own, you were even if you were renting that land or had possession of that land, you were able to, to claim it for your own. <clears throat> and so that's why they're saying this. Verse 38, but when, uh, no, we're down to 40. When the owner of the wine vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this scripture, this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. I'm almost done. I tell you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. I'll say that last piece in a little bit. Verse 46 and 45 and 46, I'll go in in a minute. Now, this is some deep business, what Jesus is saying. And it's interesting because as he's reading, as he's telling them this story about this vineyard, He's actually alluding to another story that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the um, priests know about that's in Isaiah chapter 5. 
And he had, in Isaiah chapter 5, it's another one, and it's, taught, it's called the song of a vineyard. And I'm not going to read that deep, uh, completely, but uh, I'm not going to read that, but I'm just going to let you know that as he's reading this, to, as he's saying this um, parable to the religious leaders and the priests, they know exactly what he's talking about. Because when Isaiah says his story about the vineyard in the Old Testament, Isaiah is saying that the vineyard represents Israel and the landowner represents God. And he's saying that the workers, the farmers who are rejecting the servants that are coming to get the, land, to get, get the profits are the priests. Now it's interesting because the servants represent the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, you guys know of any other prophets from the Old Testament? Okay, Ezekiel. <laughs> um, anyway, the, what happened to them is they were killed off somehow. Y'all, I'm just quiet as, a, as mouses. I'm telling a story. I got your attention. Oh, good. Okay. Well, good. I won't be offended. I, I got your captive audience. That's what's going on. I got a captive audience. Okay, good. Woo. So anyway, in Isaiah, he comes to them and talks about this vineyard. And he talks about the tower. He talks about the wall around the, tower, the, the vineyard. And he talks about the, the lookout, I mean, the, the wine press. Now, when you're looking at this deeply, Jesus knew that the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the stories from the Old Testament. So he was marvelous in the way he would refer them back to what they should have known and what they should have known in the messages of the Old Testament, which means that you are not doing what God told you to do and you're not living up to your covenant as a people, and not only are you not living up as a, as a people, those of you who are here to teach the people, you're the ones who are creating this type of crop. Because in Isaiah's story, he talks about um, that, Jesus, that God has created this vineyard so that he can have sweet grapes, but, in, but instead they end up having bitter grapes, which you cannot use because it won't be the type of wine that you need. The vineyard represents our consciousness on a deeper level. The workers and the farmers represent how you are living in your mind, your thoughts. What thoughts are you using to create a consciousness that's in alignment with God? And even if your consciousness are religious conscious, uh, thoughts and, and, and words and beliefs, are they the kind that will the, the have no heart in them and no spirit in them, they're just the action. And are you easily uh, in a space to condemn someone when you see them doing something that is not godly? And do you have it in your heart at all an opportunity to see past what you think you know and open yourself up to what God knows? And if you do, is your life producing the type of fruit that shows that you are a follower of Jesus' teachings who we consider our way shower and our big brother? And are you doing this on a regular basis that anytime you go into your harvest, you're going to have fruit that is sweet and productive? And when we look at our lives, it's not always that case. But he goes further and he says, that 
that even the people who come into our lives and the thoughts that come into our minds to change are condemned. Because sometimes it feels easier to do what is humanly in our consciousness than to follow what is the spiritual way of being. Does that make sense? Like it's quicker, it's easier to be angry with somebody than to come into a state of peace. It's quicker to judge somebody and have something to say to somebody than to be quiet and listen. We, sometimes it's easier for us to offer a solution instead of just being a space of a heart for somebody to share. Sometimes it's easier for us to tell ourselves and someone else not to feel the way we feel because it feels uncomfortable instead of sitting in there and digging into the truth, that the, the false thought that is in there and change it into something new. You know, the spirit of God is there. You should be thinking this way. That's a spiritual bypass. And it's easier for us in unity to puff it up and do this spiritual bypass from affirmations instead of dig into the issue, tell it the truth, change it, and then walk in that affirmation for real, for real. Does that make sense? When we do a spiritual bypass or when we judge somebody, you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't think that way. How many times have you heard yourself say that to yourself and someone else? That's the Pharisee. That's the religious leader. That's the evil farmers killing off the people who are coming to collect the fruits of your labor. But if you are not tilling your vineyard and creating inside of yourself a deep relationship with God where you always have compassion, where you honor your human side, where you live according to where you are, where you, instead of judging it, you just know that it is what it is, and then you be the truth of who you are and then step into a higher truth of who God is, that's what we're here to do. But Jesus came and was sharing this truth, and the religious, lead, the religious leaders were so caught up in him drawing followers away from them that they didn't see the celebration of what Jesus was coming to teach them. That we're not here to only be obedient to the law. We're here to be the spirit of the law. We're here to be the love of the law. And then we're here to live in obe obeying the law. Does that make sense? That's where you get the true fruit. When you don't, you end up with the bitter because there's no spirit. There's all intellectual and action but there's no spirit. You ever have someone do something for you and you know it was faker than fake than fake? Like this fake. Oh, I love you. Oh, I'm doing this. It's just fake. Or do something just to be seen because you're around other people. Now, if someone wasn't around, they wouldn't have been that nice person towards you. That's a bitter grape because the heart is not in it. So there's a couple characters in this, there's six characters in this uh, parable that are important and that we're going to get to. The first one is the landowner, which in the parable represents God. In our consciousness represents the Christ, the God in you, which is the Christ, or the Son of God, which is the Christ in you. Or the divine idea, which is the Christ in you. Whatever level you want to say. Or the son, which is the Christ in you. The son with the capital S, that's the Christ in you. So that's what the landowner represents on the story level, the letter of the law. And on a spiritual level, which is God, on a spiritual level, it's the God in you. And the God in you is represented by the son of God, by the son, by the divine idea, and by the truth that you are. Do you get that? Yeah. 
Thank you, Debbie. And then the, um, the vineyard represents your consciousness. In this story, it represents Israel and how they're living. The tenants or the farmers represent the Jewish religious leaders, but it also re represents your religious thoughts. Notice I said religious thoughts, not spiritual thoughts. Your religious thoughts that are ready to do what you need to do to look good in front of everybody else, but don't have the, that you don't sometimes have that. You do it out of um, obligation instead of the truth and the spirit of what you want to do. You ever do something? I know I have done things out of obligation because I felt I should do it. I should do it. If you should on yourself, that ain't the best place to be. But if you just do it from the spirit of love, it is. And then the landlord's servants represent the prophets, but it represents those people in your life who you know they're telling you the right thing, but you don't want to hear it. The thoughts in your mind that you know is the right thought, meaning the right approach for the outcome that you want, but you don't follow that either. And then the son who came, of course we know that represents who? Jesus, right? Jesus. But it also represents you when you're following your relationship with God. Jesus is just a symbolism. He came to be an example. It represents you as well. And the stone is a deep thing because he ends this parable with this stone analogy. The stone that the builders reject has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This piece is deep for them because they were about to go into the Passover, and that's part of a prayer from Psalm 118. They, during, the, during the Passover, they, in Judaism, they re read, in first century Judaism, they read the Psalm 113 to 118, and in there, they read it while they're doing the Passover. So he knew that they, and they sing it, he knew that they knew it. So as they're saying this, is get, as he's saying this, is getting their attention. The stone that you reject will be the foundation. That stone represents your absolute truth. It represents Jesus, of course, but it represents spiritually that absolute truth that you have committed your life to and you will never turn back on. That everything you do in your life, you, you, you uh, use that stone as a foundation. And Jesus gave us two principles, two commandments that we can use as our stone. Love God. Do you, all, do you know that? You remember it. Love God with what? All your heart all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love thy neighbor as you do yourself. Now, if you run your life like that, that can be the cornerstone of the rest of your life. Now, the end of this story is how we may respond. Verse 45 and 46. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him, but they didn't because, I'm just ad-libbing, they did it because they knew that the people thought of him as a prophet. That's the, only reason, that's the only reason why they didn't at that time. They didn't have enough, they did not have enough evidence at that time. But there's a couple conscious, there's three insights in their psyche one is that they're jealous of Jesus. 
The second is that they realize that they are the wicked farmers. And the truth is, sometimes we are as well. And the third thing they realize is that song that he was talking about was him. And they thought it was blasphemous that he was considering himself the stone. And the other part of that quest, that thing was, the stone represented the Messiah. So that was why they were ready to arrest him, because they did not see in any way, shape, or form that he would be the Messiah. The Messiah is that thought, that experience, is that aspect in you that you allow to draw you through any circumstance that is a trial or tribulation that seems like it's the worst thing you're experiencing. And you let it bring you through into a state of killing off the way you're experiencing, transforming the way you're experiencing it through the crucifixion, which is crossing it out, what it means to you. Fourth unity principle, denying the power that it has on you and then stepping into affirming the truth that you are and then walking past it into your liberation. That is a Messiah. Detaching from the human realm of how it looks, stepping into the truth of what it is and living in the freedom of it. Does that make sense? I have my experience too and then we're going to do an affirmation and we're going to come out. I, 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 you know... Being a minister is not, it's not always easy because I'm seriously committed to this. And I signed a couple weeks ago that, that covenant, you know, that, that in front of you all as my witnesses. And when you're a true, when you're truly committed to whatever job you do, whatever you take on, you become the living expression of it. Like you become, you decide to be a mother, you become a living expression of a mother. You decide to go into computers or whatever, you become, it, it's, it's what you live, move, and you have a breathing in it if it's yours, if it's your passion. Like think of something that's your passion. Like you will do it for the rest of the day. And time goes by so quickly, you don't even realize you're doing, like the time has gone by, and it feels like it was just a minute, but 10 hours may have gone by. But, but, but when you're doing something like what I'm doing, and you guys have your own that you do, it's like I'm committed to it. With the, I, I can't preach it or, or speak it or, live or, or, or teach it, and I'm not being it. So when I come into these parables or whatever it is that I, has got, come to me that I'm going to be speaking on, I promise you God works it to me down into the ground. And it ain't no funny business, I'm promising you. It is not funny. It's not a comfortable feeling. But I'm committed to getting to the other end of it. And I'm still working through some things that, 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 that something, some things threw me, through, threw me for a loop yesterday. And it's interesting because things will throw you for a loop when you expect people to be a certain way and then they don't show up that way. But then if you already know how the person is and you expect them to be a different way and they show, show up a different, you know, not the way you think, it's going to throw you for a loop because you put an expectation on them other than who they are. Does that make sense? I did that. I put an expectation on someone who I thought, oh, they'll be this way because this is the right thing to do. And in my eyes, that was supposed to be the right thing to do, but that's my expectation. My human side, that Pharisee, that religious leader, oh, they're going to do this because this is and that. And then they didn't do it, and I got the nerve to get upset at them when I know they weren't going to do it in the first place. Benefit of the doubt. Oh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to say anything. I just know the person's going to do the right thing. No, no, no. That doesn't always happen. 
my stone, my cornerstone is, is the two commandments. That's my cornerstone. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, which means don't put expectations on people to live your way. Love and accept them for who they are. Know and accept the truth of God. That's loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The truth of God is that all things are perfect no matter how they show up. That's just the truth. And so God was working me. And I had my little temper tantrum. I'm being the Pharisee in the consciousness of the God telling me, you know, these thoughts. Well, you know, and I'm going back and forth, doing the Lord's Prayer, and that just doesn't make sense. And doing the Lord's Prayer, but it still doesn't matter. I can't believe they did it. And then doing the Lord's Prayer, how could they speak that way? That doesn't make sense to me. And then I'm thinking, it wouldn't make sense to you because they're not your consciousness. And I call someone to vent. And they didn't even answer the phone. It was funny. The, the message was all I needed. They're greeting. Whatever thoughts you're thinking, you're creating your world. You want to change your world, change your thinking. Do you really want to live in a state of peace or live? And I realized it is not my job to be right in anybody's life, not even my own. It is my job to allow God to be the right in me. So this story is talking about living in righteousness and taking all the help you can get from the prophets, which are the servants, to live in a state of righteousness. And in the moments that you aren't, knowing that there will be consequences there, but you have a choice. Because the only one who can live in a consciousness of righteousness is you in your own mind. And so I had to change my way in order to change my experience of life, in order to change that experience. And I'm doing that. And so I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes with me and put your hand over your heart and take a deep breath. Bring it to mind any time where you were thrown for a loop, even if it was recently. And affirm with me, I release the power of this experience over me. Together, I release the power of this experience over me. Wherever I am, God is, and all is well. Together, wherever I am, God is, and all is well. Even in this experience, God is, and all is well. Together, even in this experience, God is, and all is well. I honor my human. Together, I honor my human but I live by the truth, together, but I live by the truth. The truth is that all is well in the presence of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Allow that Christ in you to prevail no matter what. Always seek to feel and be the truth, even in the moments where it doesn't feel that way. I promise you, if you seek it anyway, it will demonstrate itself in you. I pray this over all of us, that even when we're thrown for a loop, even in those moments where we're taken by surprise, even in the moments where we put
put the expectation there. I speak it over all of us that we will come out knowing that in God, all is well. We can release the expectations. We can step into the truth, and we can be the expression of the freedom of God's uh, righteous Son of God inside of us. Allow God to guide you through it. Be peace, and let God's peace prevail in your life. Thank you, God, for this understanding. Thank you, God, for your vineyard in our consciousness. Thank you, God, for the landlord, which is the Christ in us. Thank you, God, for the servants, which are the ones who give us the truth that we can live by. And thank you, God, for the Son, which is that foundation that each one of us has in our own hearts that we will follow for the rest of our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you all. Have from the start you held a place in my heart a place that no one else could fill but sometimes the spirits are working in me
a perfect song, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. I feel uplifted and forgiven and all. <laughs> I don't even know the words. Thank you. Let's give them another hand. <laughs> Woo! Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So now we're going to do our love offering blessing. So I invite you to gently close your eyes and take a deep cleansing breath. Feeling yourself moving to that state of abundance and prosperity that you are, that lives in you. As you bring to mind what you feel led, led to give for your love offering for today's um, class, I mean, uh, service, <laughs> for today's service. And let's go ahead and open your eyes and let's go ahead and affirm our love offering blessing together. Divine love through me blesses and multiplies all that I have, all that I give, and all that I receive. Thank you, God. Let's stand up so we can do our prayer for protection and our peace song. And as we do this prayer, align yourselves with everyone in, in, the, um, in the sanctuary, in the church, in the city, in the state. Keep expanding it out. We're going to just feel yourself expanding this out. And let's go ahead and affirm it together. The light of God surrounds us. The love of God enfolds us. The power of God protects us. The presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is, and all is well. Thank you for listening to this Unity of Farmington Hills podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and uplifted you. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but would still like to support our spiritual community, visit our giving page, unityfh.com donate.